Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild podcast. I'm your host, MC. It's a pleasure to have you back with us. So, exciting news on my end here. Uh, that actually affects the podcast as well. I have been asked and I have accepted to become one of the main hosts of the Systematic Geekology podcast. Uh, they are the ones that I've, I'm pretty sure I've talked about them before. I've been on their whole church podcast episodes as well. I uh, just had a couple of recording sessions with them, just making sure all the details are fine, that fit the team well, and it looks like see, I'm going to be there. So that will be affecting my schedule here, you see, as you probably guessed. <laughs> Let's just add that to the many things out there that have prevented me from focusing on this. So I did want to warn everyone in advance that this is something that's going to be happening. I'm going to be have to putting, uh, in addition to school, which I'm not currently in since it's winter break, but I will be when I return to that. I will be focusing more of my efforts on systematic ecology, and we would love to have you there as well. It's a great program set up. We have multiple uh, Christians of very different denominations coming in to talk about geeky stuff that we love, whether it be anime or comics or film or uh, TV shows, what have you, video games. It's a perfect setup there. It's a very chill environment. Opinions are respected. We'll make fun of Josh. <laughs> for having his wrong opinions but at the end of the day it's a very fun experience so i would welcome you guys to check that out if that's something that interests you but what that does mean for the podcast is that unfortunately like i said before i will not be devoting as much time to this so i want to get this out of the way uh, at the very beginning i'm very grateful to all of you who stuck out as long as you have listening to this idiot ramble and moan and, and groan about the various things that i don't like in manga and comics and anime and like I said, I'm extremely grateful that you have persevered. You have not just said, I don't want to listen to this idiot again. So I am not ending this podcast. Let me be clear. I am not ending it. However, I am not going to be focusing on this as much as I would like to. And even when I wanted to focus on this, well, it was hard to do so in the first place. So what does that mean for you? Well, that means that if I do record this, chances are I won't go as in-depth into the manga and comics. I, I may mention them at the very beginning, something I liked or something that really made me angry. <laughs> Imagine that, probably something Zeb Wells has done once again uh, to tick me off. So I won't be doing that segment. I will still be doing lists. Uh, I'll probably be doing the protagonist section at some point in time. I may do a waifu section at one point in time. I will also be going... At some point in time in my top, I have decided at least top 50 comic book storylines uh, to do that. And I'd probably do that maybe uh, 10, 15 or so at the time. At a time. Uh, depends on how things go with that. So those are my plans. So I just wanted to let you all know that, get that out of the way. Uh, so thank you once again for listening to me ramble on and on about something you don't care about. <laughs> And let us focus on the main course, which, of course, will be my top 100 anime. This time, we will be going through my top 20 all the way to number 11 on my list. And then the next step, so we the last one in this section. I'll be going through 10 through 1. And that'll be that. So my top 20 favorite anime of all time is Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zeta. And I know... Because I think I do every time I talk about something like this. There are a bunch of people out there going, you put that as your number one in the entire franchise. And to that, I happily say, yes, I did. <laughs> I love Gundam as a series. Like I talked way back uh, when I think Wing was brought up, uh, Unicorn as well, that it's just a fun series. I love the mobile suit fights. I love the messages, uh, even though it can get a bit uh, anvilicious for its own good about the war is hell trope. But there's a reason for that, and that's because most of the time people will look and go, oh, cool robots. And there's a reason that's a trope. It's because people look at surface level and then refuse to see what the story is actually trying to present. Now, once again, I lean right. So the whole war is bad can sometimes get a little grating and not to say that I'm a warmonger by any stretch of the imagination, but it sometimes gets a little too like hippie ish for my for my caring in the sense that, 
uh, if we just stop doing stuff like this, no wars will happen and people will just get along. And someone who has studied human nature as much as I have knows how uh, stupid an idea like that is. Although idealistic, and we should be idealistic about this. And I am glad that there are people out there who are pushing forward to try and build bridges to bring peace. I would like to be a peacemaker myself as I work through my life. But Gundam sometimes gets in the way. So that rant aside... Let's talk about Double Zeta. And why the heck would I ever make Double Zeta my favorite Gundam show of all time? So much to the top 20 of all anime ever made. Well, my friends, Double Zeta to me came at a time when I desperately needed it after finishing Zeta. I don't know if I've spoken about Zeta before. I probably have. But I'm not the biggest fan of Zeta. And I know there's a bunch of people out there, a bunch of Zeta apologists, who will say that I just didn't get it? It's like, no, I get it. This is Tomino at his most depressive. Tomino at near his worst outside of Victory Gundam. It's where things are wrong, things are going to go bad, and nothing you do matters. That, that, that's a little stretch to say nothing you do matters. But it, you're not going to see the benefits of what you've done. And Zeta kills that instinct in me to just go yeah there's hope for the future we can do this you know even if we do band together bad things are still going to happen but we're still a team we're still going to do and cause great things to occur zeta's like nope everything is it's not for nothing but it's going to feel like it was for nothing <laughs> as a poor uh oh my gosh camille gets uh, mind raped at the very end so what happens in double zeta and some would say very jarring and i would agree with that to an extent is we go from the super depressing, uh, grim dark of Zeta Gundam to a more lighthearted, you know, something that recaptures in a way certain aspects of the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, they're not a one to one correlation, but we do feel a sense of hope. There is a, a sense that we can change things, we can work together to fight off these menaces. We're never going to solve everything, but we can make things better for the people that we're never going to meet. And Double Zeta has that in spades, even with uh, people overlooking the parts that are more depressing about it, and that we do have some character deaths that mean a lot. I mean, we lose some people uh, from the very beginning of Gundam uh, that kind of kill that sense of, oh, no, I thought I thought you were going to make it, but nope, doesn't happen. But my favorite part of Double Zeta is our protagonist, Judo Ashta, one of my favorite Gundam protags. I don't quite have a list of all of my favorites for that, but he would be near the top. I may put Garrod uh, over him at the end of the day. But what Judo does is, even with someone in his line of work, uh, starting out this street rat, this scavenger, this scal uh, who is this scallywag, and rises to the occasion and doesn't become a hero right off the bat but along the way learns to care about the people around him and then care about people that he's never going to meet which is something you don't see a lot of protagonists learning about they may have this vague sense of well i'm going to make things better for people but they've never actually met anyone uh who would be suffering from something they're trying to fight against or what have you but what judo does along the way is you know thinking he's lost his sister and one of the uh contentious plot twists in this show uh how that turns out is to learn to not think just of himself to learn to think think of others to appreciate those he has around him we have two of the finest uh female pilots we have in gundam in l and rue who you could argue i've seen a lot of people say oh they're just you know and ballsy and girly and nothing they're not as good as others it's like okay uh, you clearly didn't watch the show because they both grow immensely throughout. Elle learning to stand up for herself, Rue learning how to handle other people around her, and not think that just because she's so great at what she does, she does need to learn to rely on others. And I love the both of them immensely. They're great characters. Now Mondo and Bicha, some of the worst, worst side characters ever, but they along the way do gain uh, some more respect from me as they do grow. Like most of the characters do have dynamic story paths along the way and even with something as ridiculous as the whole moon moon fiasco i don't hate it as much as everyone else does i'm not the biggest fan of it mind you but that part of the show does drag for a bit longer than it should 
you, you start thinking, well, how the heck did this happen for this long? And all these people on this one colony have just been forgotten about, blah, blah, blah. It's whatever. But what it also brings is a finality to the saga in this timeline, at least. In UC, everything that had been built up between uh, the Federation and Zeon and uh, all and the fallout of the Titans uh, no longer being a faction anymore brings a lot into this show that has a very lasting impact on Universal Century as a whole. And it's done in a way that uh, without this, a movie like Charged Counterattack never could have happened the same way because it, he says, looking over at his phone that he forgot the silence. <laughs> It requires the events of Devil's Aided to happen in order for Shar and Amro to have that final uh, showdown between the two of them. So at the end of the day, Mobile Suit Gundam Devil uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Devil Zeta is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. There's plenty there are plenty of gripes that people rightly have against it. But I would say the same about Zeta, and I would be torched and tarred and feathered and burned at the stake and then put on a cross. <laughs> If I admitted those feelings between in uh, in certain parts of the Gundam fandom, so we'll move on from there to our number nineteen, which is Cutie Honey. Now I know there are a ton of you that are immensely shocked. Number one, that this is on the list, and number two, it's as highly rated as it is on the list, with my vitriolic hatred for. Anything involving excessive fan service, of which Cutie Honey has a lot. So don't misunderstand me there. It's like, oh, it's one of the good ones. Uh, yes, to an extent, but I can look past it because of the story it tells in a way that I can't do for other series because they'll have a bland protag or they'll just have a group of women who just throw themselves at someone or a reverse harem in a kind of way like that. And it's just boring and I hate it and I don't like it. Cutie Honey for those who don't know, is one of the first uh, magical girl shows in existence. Uh, Honey Kisaragi is seemingly just an ordinary girl uh, working at this, uh, I think it's like a Catholic kind of school in Japan. Of course, there are a couple there because there's still a remnant left behind from the very beginning. And missionaries have made their way along uh, after the uh, rebellion and all that. To uh, realize that her dad is way more important than she thought. And he's also the one who made her into this cool kind of cyborg uh, with multiple powers that she can shift into these different forms. Cutie Honey, of course, being the most prominent, the red hair. I mean, and you know me, which one is going to be my favorite? <laughs> Surprising absolutely no one. It's the one with the red hair. And uh, the way she can infiltrate things now as uh, she works as a spy. She works as uh, this kind of superhero in a to an extent. Uh, her going facing off against a organization called Panther Claw, which are the ones who unfortunately kill her father, and then she is now his legacy, trying to take them down. It's very shonen setup. We've all seen it before. Uh, weird though is the fact that not only do we have a female protagonist in the situation, but that it happens in the seventies, which is way beyond. Uh, it's time, especially fair for its day, and how it treats her as a well-rounded person, as a great character, someone who is not just a sex symbol. And let's get it out of the way, she is indeed a sex symbol. You'd be a fool to say otherwise. All you have to do is look. And that's the, that's the end of the argument. But she's so much more than that. She is so caring she is so tenacious in her fight against the organization to destroy everything she thought she knew about her life cutie honey has staying power and the fact that it has as many remakes as it does some of them of varying quality and i would even say i know this is heresy but the uh gynax slash i think it's actually trigger that made it uh cutie honey series is one of the worst ever made it's as beautifully animated as it is, and you know what you're going to get with Trigger and Gynax. It's not as good. So, other than that, what it does is not only creates one of the greatest uh, MCs in anime 
history, but it has such a staying power that you can tell, like, over time, it caused so many things later on in manga and anime to be inspired by this, even in Western uh, animation and comics, from this one character. So, Cutie Honey, my number 19 on the list. So, we'll move on to our number 18, which is Voltez 5. Now, to those of you who don't know, this is the middle in a pseudo-trilogy, uh, starting with uh, Combat Combatler V, yeah, yeah, and uh, Dimos. Both of those excellent shows. Not worthy of being my top 100, but fine mecha series. Voltez 5's takes on their formula, which is, it starts off, you got your, uh, your five-man band, which is a lot uh, where a lot of other anime would take inspiration from series like these. Because you get things like uh, Get a Robo, you had your three-man band. And sometimes four, depending on how things turned out. But it inspired a lot more uh, just beyond that. And we have some really great mecha fights here. It's not reinventing the wheel, but what it does do quite remarkably is create compelling villains. Now, when you start with something like Mazinger Z and Great Mazinger and so on and so forth, like they're good villains. Don't get me wrong. But as far as compelling goes, not nearly the same. I love how they handle their villains, how they make a connection between our main uh, MC, excuse main MC, <laughs> our MC and our dragon for this series, and how not only are they related by blood, and if I'm rem misremembering anything, I do apologize. It's been years since I've watched this. Having the way for a heel face turn to occur as we deal with the horrors of colonization we deal with the horrors of slavery and injustice in society that we look through in a fictional lens to then look upon ourselves as humans and go oh well we were just as guilty of those very same things and i can see that in cartoon form and then not get angry and say oh well, that's just you know woke nonsense and i don't use the term woke lightly because people have uh really overused it to the point where it almost has no meaning anymore but what Voltes 5 does not only in addition to having a bunch of good characters to follow is introduce these things to children so that they when they grow up can now be inspired and go well I want to learn from you know this fictional media I really liked and how to prevent further things like this from happening uh, and I know this has nothing to do with Voltes 5 other than being tangentially related to it, but Dimos, that's uh, the one after this, actually inspired during the reign. Oh, wait, sorry, I miss I realized I just misspoke. It is actually Voltes 5. Dimos did appear in the Philippines with uh, a dub uh, later on, but uh, what I was going to say as far as cultural impact goes, what Voltes 5 did is it got banned under the uh, dictatorship of, oh gosh, what is his name again? Uh, Ferdinand Marcos, who was very upset with a series that inspired, you know, revolution and a rebellion against people in power who are abusing those. And at the time, this is one of the most brutal dictatorships the Philippines had ever uh, gone through. And what Voltes V did is it made an entire country ban it because they were so afraid of its message. And that is a powerful message for a show to have. That people in government are afraid of what it could inspire in others to the point that there were massive uh, protests along the way. Uh, well, massive may be the wrong word. There were protests, at least, in the Philippines. Uh, that helped inspire a generation of people to resist in their own way. I'm not saying like Voltus V didn't spark a rebellion or anything like that. But what it did do was cause a lot of people to look at the, their surroundings and go, wait, this seems awfully familiar. They're talking about all these oppressive things that these this alien species is doing. Oh, I'm seeing that right here around me. And it does a little thinker there. So Voltus V, I do apologize again for screwing that up with Dimos. Uh, <clears throat> so, Voltes 5, great show. 
Highly recommended. We're going to move on from 18 all the way to my number 17, which, of course, will be The Promised Neverland Season 1 only. Now, I'm fairly certain forever ago when I started uh, this little list, this series, I did mention there would be parts of series like JoJo's that would be put to this list, but also seasons. This is not the only one on the list. There's at least one more I can think of off the top of my head where only this first season will be recognized and everything afterward will be just seen as drivel. Because in my opinion, and this is about the part of the list. Actually, maybe I said this earlier, but, oh my gosh, from, let's see, Mob Psycho 100 on, about everything you see on this list, I would rate a 10 out of 10. And The Promised Neverland Season 1 is most definitely a 10 out of 10 in its presentation, in its mystery, in its suspense, in its characters, and the drama. It just, you feel like you are caught and never will be able to escape with Emma, Norma, and Norman, and Ray as mom is looking down at you and thinking, oh, what are you trying to plot over there, little buddy? <laughs> What a truly magnificent show. And it's such a shame that it goes down later on in ways that are just not fun. It's not fun to see a series you loved as much as this, like, just fall off the train tracks and cause devastation along the way. And I don't like saying that. And contrary to popular opinion on Twitter, I am not a hater for fun. I don't like being so dismissive of things. I don't like being angry at things because I want them to be good. It's like I said before, when it comes to Spider-Man right now, it's like, I want it to be good. He's my favorite superhero of all time, but then I, I can't start. I'll get on a rant. We're talking about the promise of Everland. <laughs> I say, Christian, you've talked a lot about this. Uh, why should I care about the first season alone? Well, my friend, I'm glad you asked since you apparently haven't watched the show. The Promised Neverland takes place in an orphanage uh, surrounded by these giant walls and it looks like an almost prison-like environment. We go, that's kind of weird, but oh well. And we start with our three main characters, Emma, Norman, and Ray. They're all a little younger than 12. And it's at this point in the time they seem to be like they're little baby geniuses. They all do well in their school that mom teaches. Uh, they're taken care of by a figure known as mom. We're not given a name for her at the very start. We do learn it along the way. But it's her job to be their caretaker because it seems like what they're being, what is happening is that they're just waiting for adoption one day. But not once had these people, had these children ever seen another human older than themselves besides mom. Outside of our um, eventually sister Crone. But it's this very idyllic experience like everything they have is provided for their food their medicine their toys their their clothes i mean the only things that seem out of place are the giant walls the tattoos on their bodies that have these specific numbers on them and it seems perfect utopian even until one day one of them is about to be adopted and they all cry they're upset and they go but uh Emma and Norman realize that she, this girl Connie, has left behind her favorite stuffed toy, her stuffed animal, this little bunny, and they go chasing after her. They know they're not supposed to do it, but they did it anyways. And they go down, and they find Connie dead. Murdered by a, junt, by a bunch of grotesque, tall demons that are there to harvest Every single one of them and every reality they've ever had about their lives is shattered in that moment. That first episode is one of the top first episodes ever made for any series in all of fiction. It sets the stakes immediately. It brings focus to the problems they're going to have because now uh, we don't want that to happen to us. So what are we going to do? We're going to try and escape. <laughs> 
I mean, you would think, but how do we do that? How do we know they're not going to be able to track us? How do we know that we can trust? We don't, can we trust each other? Can we trust the, the people? And we've grown up around our entire lives because we can't trust the one woman who's cared for us this entire time and has shown us nothing but love and affection. But now we know that's all as a result. So we can be eaten by these terrible things out there. So what do we do? Who can we trust? Where do we go from here? And what season one does is it builds upon that over and over so well. The the suspense weaved through like, okay, can we talk to this person? Can we reveal the truth to them? Do we have to lie to them about how this works? Like, there are kids all the way as young as little babies here. How do we get them out of this environment? Is there any way we can bring every single one of them out here? And you have our idealistic option in Emma who thinks that you know, they all disband together. She's our idiot shonen protagonist. But she grows in ways others would not. And they go, you know, as much as I want to be the person who sees things as hunky-dory and lovely and will all sing Kumbaya at the end of the day, she has to give up parts of herself for her own survival and the survival of others. Leaving behind children she doesn't want to leave because they're too young to care for and they'll just drag them down if they do. Versus someone like Ray, who is our more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, are more realist in the situation. And the way he looks at the world so cynically, and like, why does he look at that way? Oh, wait, is he the traitor? Is he the one causing all these things to happen? Like, who is he working for mom? Is someone else working for mom? What is going on here? And <laughs> I know I'm all over the place. I apologize for that. But season one had me, like, just in my seat, plugged on the screen wondering what is going to happen next and that is what a good show should do and the first season does that in spades to those of you who have not watched it i pro probably should have said uh spoilers at the very beginning so i apologize for that because it is a huge twist and changes the show irrevocably go out and watch this if you don't listen to anything else on this list. I'm sure there are others I'll probably say the exact same thing about. <laughs> but go out and watch season one of The Promised Neverland and just make your own ending after that. Now, why do I say that? Two reasons. One being the manga. The manga's ending was okay. After the Goldie Pond arc, things just went downhill. We got too idealistic for our own good. Uh, and some of which I do approve of, like there should be a way for humans and demons to coexist as someone who believes in redemption, someone who wants to find the good in others, despite how I normally am without Jesus. Like I want there to be redemption. I want there to be uh, coexistence, but the way they're handling it, not the best. Uh, things just kind of happen. Things just kind of work out in the end. And that's just the end of the manga. And not much is lost that should have been lost. People survived that shouldn't have survived. It's a mess. Now, season two of the anime, even worse. It even pseudo went with an original ending, kind of. In ways that betray characterization, that just speed things up, that pass by one of the best arcs in the manga, like I said before, the Goldie Pond, uh, Death... Uh, death scenario in like this little amusement park is tremendous and we learn more about the world that it happened before we learn about who William Minerva is and all this and it just gets glossed over and not a fun way and I don't like saying that once again because I don't like being negative but I have to be honest and after season one the quality whether you're going to read the manga whether you're going to watch the anime goes down immensely and that's why I cannot in good conscience put this as highly on the list as I do if I have to include the manga ending and or season 2 ending so to ease my own conscience I just said The Promised Neverland season 1 is as high on my list as it is and I'm just going to pretend there's another original ending out there because of what it brings to the table because once again of the suspense of our great core cast of characters here who have to give up so much so much just for a chance to get out of the horrible conditions that they all live in and it's awful you know, it just breaks your heart to see them 
lose in this way sometimes and then to see them win too along the way that's those are great but if you don't listen to anything else once again guys please for the love of god go check out the first season of the promised neverland i swear i'm not leading you astray it is literally a 10 out of 10. so that was a number 17. next up will bring us to a very different series my number 16 gurren lagan one of the best mecha anime of all time but not the best as you'll find out along the way that of course will be a different uh, gainax studio production but on the gurren lagan you want to talk about the anti-evangelion gurren lagan is where it's at and i'm so glad i watched evangelion first so that i could properly enjoy gurren lagan for its optimism its endless resolve to you know kick reason to the curb and go beyond the impossible you know how many times i have had a character say that line in a series it's a lot <laughs> some people would argue way too much but it's such a baller line from one of the best characters in fact probably my number one uh anime character uh, male at least of all time uh, that may change if i actually write up a list but as for right now kamina is just so great but once again i've gone off track so what is Gurren log on to the uninitiated basically uh there's a bunch uh, a fair amount of humans that live underground that's all they've ever known uh they're constantly digging down instead of up and there are a couple guys in there uh simon who is our digger uh, his job is to just drill through the walls to make more room for the village as they're expanding and anything cool he finds along the way is supposed to bring to him then of course we have kamina who is our delinquent leaving a brunt uh, a gang of guys who is convinced that the surface world exists and that his father made it out there and he is one of the most supportive brother figures to simone in all of anime really as misguided as he can be as hot-headed as he can be as stupid as he can be he's always gonna be looking out for his bro so great but they find one day when a giant mech crashes down along with a, a young girl in her bikini uh whatever suit they made her yoko uh who is trying to snipe it to death they find after simone has unearthed a very small mech that if they work together and kamina in his own way uh starts taking over other mecha suits and then combining together drilling down a uh, drilling being a huge part of the series they can create gurren lagan who is what which is one of the strongest mechs in that world but there's a lot of trial and error along the way a lot of people they meet along the way as they're inspiring humanity because some humans have found their way to the top and we find the reason that they're no longer on the surface is that hundreds thousands of years ago humanity was facing a threat known as the anti-spirals because humanity along with many other species out there possesses something called spiral energy and spiral energy is basically built off the belief of hot-blooded determination which is such obviously inspired by uh, get a robo and other shows like that but of course it uses it as a legitimate power up in the series in a very fun way that few others would ever hope to do the same with very inspiring how they do it but humanity lost in this war we were put underground our former hero is now you know supreme overlord of the world and he's created the beastmen to be people who can't ever use spiral energy all in the hopes that humanity would just stay alive and never be bothered again by the anti-spirals because in their version of mercy they let us live but our chance for growth was killed our desire to to evolve to move forward to grow more in wisdom was suppressed until a bunch of idiots came out of the dirt created Gurren Lagann and started changing the status quo started fighting the status quo until spoilers were quick one two three Kamini dies and I will tell you as a very young weeb that 
devastated me. He was this bombastic character who just seemed like could do no wrong, no matter how stupid his decisions were. But he never gave up. And because he did so, he died protecting the people he loved. And one of the best moments of heroic sacrifice in all of anime. And the show is irrevocably changed for the better with his absence. Because even with him gone, he lingers on. Like, their hot-blooded determination, because of them all being inspired by him, continues furthering their cause to Simone, learning to stand up for himself, learning to pilot his mech, and eventually challenge those very same anti-spirals that caused them all to be forced to where they were in the first place. Gurren Lagann is a tale about never giving up, about using your hot-blooded determination to change the world around you. And what a great message uh, that sometimes in shonen gets overplayed immensely, but it's done just right. It shows the limits of that, but it also shows that never giving up for a good cause is always good, always for the betterment of others. Gurren Lagann, my number 16. We'll move on to my number 15, which is Puella Magi Madoka Magica. And you'll forgive me if I say Madoka because sometimes I just screw up like that. But Madoka Magica, uh, as someone who was not as well versed in magical girl stories uh, when it first appeared, uh, so I missed a little bit of the nuance there at the very beginning, was groundbreaking to me. And I'm actually kind of glad I saw it the way I did. Because I had heard people hype this series up over and over. It's be like, oh, it's just so great. It's like a huge deconstruction of the magical girl genre. And I was like, oh, okay, what? I I was only, I mean, I had watched a couple before then, but Sailor Moon obviously being the most obvious of all of those. But I wasn't well-versed in magical girl shows. So I didn't see the need for a deconstruction of the genre. Now after watching a couple more, I do. And what uh, Madoka, uh, Madoka, gosh, Madoka, <laughs> Magica does is it presents why in the world would there ever be a need for girls of this age and only them to harness this power? Uh, what it does immensely is it plays with time. It plays with how we feel about the characters around us. Some people who seem cold and standoffish, well, there's a very big reason for why. And uh, obviously heavy spoilers for what comes ahead. Uh, we start with Monica never making the wish, which is you have to make a wish with Cubay, uh, the little cat familiar thing here, in order to become a magical girl. Never making a wish to become a magical girl until late in the series. She does not. Our main character does not become a magical girl until the very end, which is astounding. Because you would think, well, she's she's got to become, you know, the person uh, that shows about magical girls. Why is she not a magical girl? I mean, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that even compares in a sense is another deconstruction, and that being Ultraman Nexus where our main character is not Ultraman until the very end of the series. And it's all the better for it because it plays with the tropes of the tokusatsu genre in the same way that Madoka Magica does the same for the magical girl genre. You get why would someone come, why would this mystical being come to empower young girls in order to you know fight monsters and stuff like that? Well, we learn the witches in this series. Well, the, the line is something similar to, well, what do magical girls turn into? Uh, witches. And you find that Kyubei, being the master manipulator that this dumb cat is, and I want to strangle him to death, <laughs> is, creates a problem. The problem being, he doesn't create this problem. There's a problem that eventually the universe is going to die. The heat death of the universe is going to occur. It's just how time goes on with uh, entropy, like things degrade over time. We're all aware of that. What a species is trying to do is prevent that. And there's actually a very good article 
uh, when John and I actually were originally making our podcast for this and what this eventually turned out to be, uh, this was one of the shows I showed him. Uh, it was going to be, it was actually a promise Neverland and Monica Magica. And then we're going to do legend of the galactic heroes, which spoilers is on this list. <laughs> but, I read an article to him while we were recording that episode that unfortunately we're probably never going to release because the man doesn't have time to do anything. Uh, not his fault. Once again, I'm always making excuses for John. You know, screw John. <laughs> you know, in fact, kill John. Uh, anyways, uh, the article said QB yeah, doesn't understand physics or something like that. So the goal is uh, magical girls. Uh, girls have this energy inside them uh, based on emotions that, uh, causes energy to be created that wouldn't normally be created which is not how it works in actual science but that's how the series works we have to move on beyond that and you see his manipulation of Monica of Homura of Mommy and Sayaka and all these girls who deserve much better for their lives but because of who he is he knows their insecurities he implants these ideas in their heads wouldn't it be great if you just made this wish and you could help people and they are helping people at the cost of their own lives, sacrificing themselves without realizing it. If they don't uh, just stay in the game properly, they're going to die. Like, there is no way out of this. And he is one of the finest villains. Who doesn't think they're a villain? Like, most villains, like, they probably don't think they're villains. And that's a mark most of the time of a good villain. But in his opinion, he's doing something that is going to benefit everyone. And only humans are capable of doing this. Well, you find over time with Homer's sacrifice of turning back time over and over again just so she can try and save the one person who showed her kindness all these all these years, all this time. So she doesn't become a magical girl and die because it's fated to happen every single time. And it is heartbreaking when you finally realize how many loops she's been in how many times she's felt lost that she has become as cold as possible just so she can get a job done and has forgotten the very reason of why she started in the first place. Heartbreaking. Puella Magi, Monica Magica is one of the best series of all time. And that of course will take us from our number 15 to our number 14, which is Bake Monogatari. Not the whole thing. Just the first season. <laughs> to my Monogatari fans out there, I wanted to include more, but on their own, the parts weren't as good as the OG. And I love the Monogatari series. I am caught up all the way to the uh, Zoku or whatever the last one was. But what is Bakke Monogatari? That's a very interesting question. For those of you who are huge fans of uh, Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai like I am, which is a terrible title for an amazing show, and of course, I think I mentioned earlier, it can't be on the list because it's not finished, at least in anime form. What uh, you see this, obviously it was inspired by uh, the Monogatari series. We have moments here with this uh, typical harem setup, even though the show itself is not, it's, it is a harem, but it's not harem based that makes any sense he keeps finding these girls in his life who are suffering from these different afflictions from all these entities and abominations aberrations out there in this world starting of course with best girl uh hitagi shinjikohara as she is falling down he catches her realizes she's lighter than she should be and that starts off his quest and what we learn along the way actually it doesn't and he's been in this supernatural world for a lot longer than we would suspect. But it follows uh, Araragi, Kiyomi Araragi, as he continually finds ways to help the people around him and what, what drives a character like him. Uh, some of which, really, uh, yeah, the, uh, the pedo stuff, not my favorite part, especially... All the lolly stuff is one of the worst parts of it. Let's get that out of the way. I can't stand it. It's one of the worst parts of the Monogatari series, uh, along with the whole sibling fixation thing. I hate that. Incest, all, one of the worst tropes in anime. Uh, lolly stuff, incest stuff, awful. Hate it. Want it dead. 
So that out of the way, uh, Monogatari is pretty perfect after that. But it's his journey of wanting to save people, of wanting to be better than himself, to just have a normal life at the end of the day, which he'll never have the way he operates because he's just that kind of person. And him <clears throat> wrestling through everything, trying to find, like I said, we get our girl of the week, which is kind of weird. It does that thing in the harem series you should never do, which is kind of the sword on and light way of it's obvious Asuna is going to win. It's obvious Hitagi's going to win. So why even introduce the other girls? It's kind of not fair to them. <laughs> but what it does and does well is it introduces new conflicts for why these girls are suffering from these aberrations. Like, why is there this little girl who is a ghost and she is trapped in this area? No one knows who she is. And no one can see her but him because of the way that he encountered the vampire, who are one of the most OP, vill excuse me, not villains, uh, aberrations in this series. And how he can help her, how he can help uh, the girl that's trying to murder him for him being in love with the girl that she's in love with. Uh, how he can also help uh, the young girl who is a friend of his sister's, who has a huge crush on him, that causes immense problems later on in the series. But what it also does is it plays with language immensely. And there are a ton of jokes, a ton of references I'm never going to get because I am not well-versed in uh, Nihongo. Uh, to the point where people have often joked that Monogatari is never going to get a dub. <laughs> and for good reason, because it's very hard to translate these things over into English. But what I do understand, I love. And what I love most of all is seeing Araragi's growth from, I'm going to help people, but like, okay, well, why do I help people? What is it about me that uh, gives me this kind of, not savior complex, but, you know, something, a hero complex uh, to that extent? And, of course, I can't talk about the real best girl, uh, Ogi Yoshino, because <laughs> she's not in Bakemonogatari, as far as I remember. I just wanted to mention her. There's literally no other reason for me to say that, but in the say she's the best girl. So anyways, I've lost my uh, train of thought there. That was Bakemonogatari, uh, my number 14. That will bring us on to our number 13, which is Galaxy Drifter Vifam. Vifam was one of those series. I had nothing nothing as far as um, expectations for except it was just another mecha series as I was trying to finish every mecha series ever I have been slacking so I'm still just after the brave series there's that but watching galaxy drifter vifon was an absolute delight I mentioned it earlier when we were discussing Ideon and a space battleship Yamato and that they are similar in some respects. But what makes this one better for me is that these are literal children cast away from home, unable to figure things out, constantly hounded by an enemy that wants them dead, that wants them gone. But they band together. They fight back against those who are trying to oppress them. They keep trying to go back home. Or it's going to be defined more humans to find a way to live their lives after it was unjustly taken away from them. This series has it all. It has a fun cast of adorable kids who are suffering through immense tragedies but keep pressing on. It has some really cool mecha fights. It has all the sense of drama and suspense that you could ask for. In a show like this, it has been a while since I've watched it, so my memory is a little fuzzy on most of the events. But suffice to say, Galaxy Drifter Vifom, an excellent mecha series. Like, divorce that from it. It's an excellent show. Well worth your time. That was a number 13. We'll move on, blah, move on to our number 12, which is Steinsgate. Now, when these numbers keep going up, 
I had a very difficult time trying to establish my top 10 to the point this was on the top 10 at one point in time and the number 11 was on the top 10 at one time and the fact that they both fell off left me distraught <laughs> but I mean at the end of the day they were just series I thought were better and Steinsgate what it offers other than your Terminator and John Teeter references is a spectacular show built on characters who thrive under pressure who are being presented with things and realities and timelines that would never have existed if they didn't invent a time machine in their apartment we get a bunch of loons for our main characters uh, Akabe is our mad scientist uh, or whatever the name he uses for himself like I said it's been a while uh, we get uh, of course best girl uh, Kurisu, Christina as our stable for the most part scientist and love interest for Okabe we get uh, what is his name uh, uh, Daru as our overweight otaku friend no, the one we all look like. <laughs> and we get Mayuri as our cute little sister friend, pseudo-sister. Uh, and, um, of course, the enigmatic and John Connor of our series, uh, Suzawa. What a core cast, what a great core cast of characters here for a show that has such a ridiculous premise, creating a time machine with a microwave and then sending emails or demails, I should say, into the past, changing events around you. It's such a fun idea that's so goofy that it, it just works. It makes no sense why it works sometimes when I think about it. But you see the way you, the past is unaffected. You see the way that things are attempted to be averted, like trying to save Kurisu from dying. He thinks it's a fixed point in history. Trying to save Mayuri from from dying. And what also seems like another fixed point in history in a way that everything he tries to do fails over and over again. He, all he wants to do is to have these people that he loves stay safe. But Okabe doesn't give up. He keeps trying again and again and again. Even... Uh, creating the Steinsgate Zero uh, alternate timeline, which is a lot of fun, but I prefer this a lot better. But what we get, once again, uh, beside our characters, we get immense uh, suspense in a way like, how, why are these group of uh, loons being targeted by CERN? <laughs> what is John Teeter, or Titer, or how the heck you pronounce it? I've heard like five different ways before. Uh, one of the very early internet uh, myths and potential time travelers. Uh, and what does he have to do with anything? What does IBM have to do with anything? Uh, it's this conspiracy all piling up together is so fun. I love seeing it play out the way it does. I mean, you truly could not ask for a better show in this genre than Steinsgate. That was my number 12. Uh, we'll move on to our number 11, which is Now and Then, Here and There. And this, I can guarantee, is a series you're probably never going to see on anyone's top 25 list, uh, let alone top 100 list, if you weren't me. Now, to those of you who have never seen Now and Then, Here and There, it is a gem of a forgotten classic. It takes place around turn of millennium Japan, at first, we start with our boy Shu, who is uh, just doing his kendo life, finds a strange girl with blue hair and his mystical pendant around her, uh, sitting on top of a smokestack, goes up to talk to her, uh, tries to befriend her, and they're both attacked by a bunch of machines from the future and then transported into the future where we find that the Earth has become a gigantic wasteland, a desert where water is scarce, and Lala Rue, the strange girl, is one of the only people who can bring water back to this world and she is wanted to be used and abused by the powers that be of king hamdo and abelia so that they can take over the world what remains of our world and 
it showcases just humanity's never ceasing ability to always fight itself rather than solve problems, rather than care for the people around us. Uh, I remember reading an interview a while back and that this a show like Hamdo and Hollywood and all of them were heavily inspired by African warlords who would uh, invade villages, kill the parents, cause the children to become their uh, child soldiers, get them hopped up on drugs, and force them to fight. And it's, uh, I don't think we really, if I remember correctly, I don't really focus on the drugs part and now and then here and there. But we see the horrors of war seen through the eyes of children in this awful, awful way. But it's so compellingly done, like you can look aside. We get poor Sarah, her story, uh, one of the most, uh, one of the biggest tragedies in anime. This girl who had done nothing wrong, but was mistaken for Lala Rue. And now, uh, content warning, real quick for those uh, for sexual assault, she is being, uh, <clears throat> she's being raped by Hollywood soldiers because she serves no other purpose in that world. And the immense anger and frustration and self-hatred she endures. After, once again, having done nothing wrong and having to suffer through all of that. Uh, she's one of the most compelling characters in the show. Uh, to the point where you are cheering for her. When she is finally able to let go of that. To let go of her, her, her doubt, her self-hatred, her, her anger, her fear. And live and save the life of a child who a lot of people would say had no right to live. And we're not getting to that discussion right now. I think you can figure out which side I'm on from the context. But truly, her story, I cried. I have like, I have no compunctions about trying to be seen as a macho guy. It, it would take one look at me for you all to go, oh, well, that's not true. <laughs> but see, like, I shed tears over this person who did not exist but in that moment she might as well have been real just to see her grow and to see the way that the, the Hollywood is brought down we see Shu and Lala Rue and uh, Sarah and and Boo and Taboo and all these characters working together to fight against this injustice to the point where she was able to re-inspire Lala Rue after she has lost all hope to think that maybe humanity is worth saving and water is reintroduced to the world and uh, another reason why this series is so special to my heart as some of you may know uh, to those who know me as NKSCF I wrote uh, a 30 chapter fan fiction called uh, the imaginatively named uh, Life is Worth Living based around this series and my idea for this was to create because I had read so many, so many fanfics where an OC character is made and you know the coolest thing ever, they're Mary Sue and everyone loves them and they change the story forever to, to make it all about them. And as someone who, when I was younger, struggled with creating Mary Sue's, Gary Stews, what have you. My challenge to myself was to make an OC character who was our main character and have him brought into a story where the events didn't change that much. And I think for the most part, I succeeded to the point where some of the reviews I got was like, well, it's fine and all, but like nothing really changed. It's like, well, thanks for getting the point. <laughs> and what now I did here and there did was... Uh, inspire me to do that and it was such a fun uh time writing that sh uh that fanfic which you can still find as well as the tv tropes page someone made for me uh that was super nice but anyways that's it uh for our number 11 so thank you all once again for listening to the show we have one more uh going all the way from our top 10 to all the way to our top one anime starving writers guild podcast is happy to have you here with us we are writers helping other writers you can find our works at starvingwritersguild.com where we are active we are mc ashley barbara page and john transylvania slash early depending on when you see the book was written <laughs> we like i said 
we are writers helping other writers we are here to help you get your own works published we're not here to take money away from you uh, we are here to edit we will get paid for that but that's that but as far as your own works are concerned they are your property have at it we want to teach you how it can be done you can also find our works on amazon.com under those names i mentioned before do us a huge favor by leaving us a five-star review for the podcast it really does help us in the rankings uh well not really the rankings so much as what i care about right now but f helping other people find a podcast is what i more care about so i believe that's it so until next time see ya